to the RPO, College Football with the West Coast Bias. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jay Catch, your host here on this podcast. Big college football fan, but I work for the Zone Sports Network in my day job in Salt Lake City, Utah. And like I said, college football is kind of my lifeblood. It's a sport that I grew up as my favorite with, and it is something that I have a keen interest in. And I'm kicking off a series where we're going to go through all 130 teams or endeavor to talk about what all 130 teams throughout this offseason in the lead up to the 2020 football season later on this summer slash fall. And we're going to kick it off today with the UTEP Miners, a program that has been down for some time now. Dana Dimmel, the longtime Kansas State assistant coach under Bill Snyder, trying to rebuild this program, and it's been a tough, tough road to hoe so so far for the UTEP Miners. They've gone one and eleven in both of Dimmel's first two seasons with UTEP, and you may wonder, okay, how does that compare to before that? Well, you're going to hear a little bit about that, and we're going to catch up with Brett Bloomquist. He covers the UTEP Miners for the. El Paso Times. He is their dedicated beat reporter covering the UTEP Miners. Had a chance to catch up with him to talk about what Dana Dimmel's trying to do there in El Paso to rebuild what has been a program that's had a long and tortured history. I guess is the easiest way to say it. They've had some high spots, but by and large have struggled for feels like decades at this point. And Dana Dimmel's trying to take on a yeoman's effort in terms of rebuilding this program from the ground up. And I had a chance to catch up with Brett Bloomquist earlier today as the UTEP Miners began spring football ahead of the 2020 football seasons. Without further ado, here you go. Brett Bloomquist with the El Paso Times talking with myself, Jay Catch, on the RPO. Please welcome in now Brett Bloomquist. He covers the UTEP athletics for the El Paso Times. We're talking UTEP football, the UTEP Miners. Brett, thanks for joining us. How are you? Well, getting by. I just, uh, just saw the first practice of the year just ended about half an hour ago. So first practice of spring. So getting getting back in football gear. All right. So... Let's talk. Let's start here. Uh, UTEP obviously has been uh, down for some time now. They've gone two and twenty-two, if I'm not mistaken, over the last two seasons. The first two years of Dana Dimmel's uh, head coaching tenure there. You said you just you watched the first uh, practice of spring for UTEP. What do they look like heading into 2020? Well, they're you know they're trying to sort through a quarterback battle, and uh, they also are hoping to get a whole lot better on defense. They've uh, Kind of hit the junior college ranks pretty hard. They're trying to trying to get a quick fix, and uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of work to do. They got to you know sort through sort through a quarter a wide open quarterback situation, and then uh, to try to improve on defense. And they're actually it's something they haven't done before that they're going to start doing as soon as they get pads is uh, tackling. They haven't tackled in spring. They haven't tackled in uh, fall either. You know, during practices in the fall, and actually didn't tackle a whole lot during games either, which was part of the problem. So they're going with uh, more contact this year, hoping hoping to see better results. Let's let's talk about uh, the the quarterback battle. Obviously, Kai Loxley was the leading passer last year. You mentioned it's a wide open quarterback battle. Who are the players contending for that job? Well, they say there are four. Uh, the guy they were kind of grooming all last year, who as soon as uh, secured his red shirt, they started playing him a little bit. Uh, he's a sophomore transfer from the Mexico Military Institute, Gavin Hardison. Uh, great arm, uh, you know, very productive in his uh, one year of junior college he played. And, you know, last year, you know, kind of showed off that arm every every day in practice. And then he got in two games right at the end of the year. And uh, he's certainly got the most experience 
Now, they got T.J. Goodwin, who's a redshirt freshman, although he was actually with them last spring. He graduated from high school early, and he was a three-star out of high school. So he's, he's you know, a very touted guy. And I, I thought last year in practice, you know, mostly in a four-string capacity, but, you know, and scout team, but I thought he, he, he looked pretty good there. And they say they're going to give him an open shot. And then they got two other guys, uh, Calvin Brownholtz and Isaiah Bravo, but we'll We'll see on them. I have a feeling it's mostly going to be between Hardison and Goodwin. Any more in college football, we've seen it. You get a good quarterback, it can secure a lot of the ills for a college football program. Dana Dimmel's got an interesting background, obviously. Spent the majority of his career at Kansas State. Of course, he's an alum there at Kansas State, but... His systems, as he's coached throughout his career, have been more of kind of pro-set, heavy run formation type of offenses. Has he opened it up as the head coach down there with the minors? Well, it, it, it seems like it's wide open compared to what, what was there before him. Uh, the Sean Coogler uh, was pretty much just line up, run up the middle, and as soon as Aaron Jones graduated, that didn't go so well. So Dimmel's offense seems wide open by comparison. I mean, as compared to the typical college offense, it's still pretty run heavy you know uh they use a fullback they use a tight end you know they have other formations too but yeah it, it is it is kind of a, of a run oriented system maybe not as much as each was doing before but by yeah by comparison pretty run heavy what has Dana Dimmel been like as he's endured two seasons back-to-back of a 1-11 overall record in both of his first two years? What's kind of his uh, mindset been about this team? Is the administration working with him? Do they understand it's a slow build here? What's kind of the, the vibe around the program? Yeah, I mean, he took over, you know, in 1-11 in, in each of the previous two years, which is an improvement over 0-12 and 12 the year before he got here. So it's a... Uh, you know, I think there was an understanding when he took over that, that the cupboard was bare. There, there really wasn't much talent at all, particularly no offensive talent. And it's, it's just going to take a while. He, uh, he seems to think, you know, they have had better recruiting classes under him. Uh, his three recruiting classes are better than, than pretty much anything in the five years before he got there. And I think that's the hope. You know, he's upbeat. He, he talks about how much they've improved. It hasn't shown up big time on the scoreboard, but you know, they do. They do seem more talented. You know, there's there's just there's more stars in the recruiting class. You know, in terms of you know getting getting more three stars and some two stars, which had quit happening before he got here. So, hoping that he's you know the, the hope is that he's upgraded the talent. And that's gonna gonna start to show on the scoreboard. What's the school administration's commitment to football like? I know different programs have different commitment levels from the school administrators. What is UTEP's thought on the football program? Well, they've got a fairly new athletic director. In fact, Demel was technically Jim Center's uh, first hire, their, their athletic director. Uh, and even there, I have a feeling they, there was, they probably just handed him three names and said pick one of these because it was pretty far along in the process, you know, he made that hire two weeks after he got here. But, you know, Utah, you know, they just put a, a bunch of money into their stadium to, to renovate Sun Bowl Stadium. So, I, you know, they're, they're committed to keeping it, that's for sure. Uh, you know, they, and they have had more resources under Demo. He's got a lot more, you know, a, a lot more staff around. And there's, you know, I mean, obviously you're limited on the number of full-time assistants you have, but there's a lot more support staff around him than there was previously and I think that's sort of 
them realizing they're going to have to spend a little bit of money to, to, to get better. So I think there is some commitment to athletics institutionally. They also have a new president. So uh, it's all kind of turned over there. But there does seem to be a, a commitment. To, you know, and they, they've had actually quite a few new ho- coaches under this athletic director. So it seems like that they're putting some resources into it. UTEP, uh, I'm an outside observer. I grew up in the state of Utah, but I remember UTEP back in the days when they were in the WAC competing against the likes of Utah and BYU way back when. They're now in the they're they're now in Conference USA. Do they feel like they belong in that conference, or would UTEP like to be in a different conference, particularly maybe the Mountain West, et cetera? Oh yeah, I, I think definitely they they wish they were in the Mountain West. Uh, you know, they kind of got left behind when the when the WAC splintered there and and you know, in the Mountain West form. And, you know, there's occasionally been talk, you know, there, you know, when it was looking a couple of years ago, like there might be another realignment before the Big 12 finally decided to stick with 10 teams. But they, they were hoping there that a shakeup would land them in the Mountain West. But, you know, I think they are happy in Conference USA. It's just, it's such a weird conference. You know, the closest team to them is New Mexico State, who's in the whack and independent in football. The next closest team is New Mexico, which is in the Mountain West, then Texas Tech in the Big 12, then Arizona in the Pac-12. So it's, it's like the closest school to them in Conference USA is UTSA, and that's like that the eighth closest school, Division <laughs> One school to El Paso. So it's there's not a lot of geographic connection, not a lot of history with the teams in Conference USA. But I do think they feel like, you know, being that they're not don't seem to be any openings in the Mountain West. They're, I, you know, they're happy with Conference USA. That's, you know, they saw what happened to the WAC, and I, you know, happy not to be part of that. So, you know, they're. I, I think they're also resigned at this point that they're probably going to be in Conference USA for quite a while. I was going to ask you, so New Mexico State right up the road from them, obviously a rival of UTEP's. They're an independent in football. Has UTEP at any point considered potentially following their lead and going independent as just a way of maybe lessening their schedule or just helping themselves out in any way, shape, or form? No, I I don't think they're – I tell you, it's it's a chore for New Mexico State to try to put together a schedule with any home games Mm -hmm. on it. Uh, and and I, I don't think UTEP wants to be in that situation. I think, you know, even though, like I said, they don't have a lot of connections with these Conference USA schools yet, although they they think they may have developed some, you know, particularly with, like, UTSA, and, and they have been with Rice for a while. But just from a scheduling standpoint, I think they're they're happy to not, not have to put together 12 non-conference games. Like, you know, New Mexico State's even talked about mm-hmm. dropping into to one double-A, or I guess now it's FCS, but you know, well, they haven't yet, but you know, that's sort of the talk that you end up when you're, you know, it's a lot harder for them to find games than, say, Brigham Young is an independent. So, uh, you know, I don't think UTEP wants to be in that same situation that New Mexico State's in, having to scramble to find 12 games, six home games. I think they're happy in that sense of, of getting eight games handed to them in Conference USA. Talking here with Brett Bloomquist. He covers UTEP Athletics for the El Paso Times, joining us here on the RPO. Brett, you mentioned earlier on in this interview that they're trying to upgrade the defense in particular for UTEP. It looks like a bunch of their leading tacklers last year were seniors, have moved on. What have they aim, What have they aimed to do to improve their defensive output, and have they changed anything in terms of like philosophy or defensive scheme? Yeah, last year they based out of a three-four, uh, and this year they're switching to a to a more conventional four-three. Uh, 
Dave, and, and then went heavy, heavy on junior college recruiting uh, defensive linemen and linebackers particularly. They actually have a pretty veteran secondary, and the guy who was kind of their best player last year got hurt a couple games in. They've got him back. Uh, you know, I think, you know, philosophy-wise, like, you know, they, they have not done any tackling in the last, you know, in the Demel's whole tenure here in either spring or in, in fall practices, and they're, they're putting that back in. So I think they, they kind of realized they needed to try to do something different along those lines. You know, they haven't made many coaching changes, a, a few on the defense, but still the same coordinator. But, yeah, I think they're, they're hoping, you know, the switch to a 4-3, getting in, uh, you know, a bunch of junior college transfers, and then, uh, you know, making a, a bigger commitment to practicing and, and hitting in practice. I think they're, they're hoping that they can turn a little bit of a corner. You mentioned they've hit the JUCO ranks in terms of trying to get uh, those guys in there. How has the transfer portal either positively or negatively affected UTEP? Oh, I think it's mostly positive. I mean, they've had some players leave, uh, including actually one of their better defensive players last year is transferring. But that's really their only big one. Most of the other guys who are entering the transfer portal haven't found many many bites yet it's probably because they're some of them aren't aren't all that good they have another guy who went to the transfer portal who's actually academic issues that he wasn't eligible to return so he's probably not going to find a place so they really haven't lost too much there and uh you know most of the transfers they've gotten have been junior college uh but you know they they actually have had some luck with graduate transfers the previous couple of years not so much any, anybody right now at the moment, although they're still leaving that door open for the fall. But, you know, on the whole, I think they've got more in the way of transfers than they've lost. It was the player you, you mentioned that may have transferred. Is that Sione Tupo? I remember seeing his name as, as being one of the guys who transferred out of the program. Is that the player you mentioned? Yes, yes. And he hasn't – yeah, he, he was one of their better players last year. He is in the transfer portal. Evidently, he hadn't found anything yet. Nah. From what I understand, there may be uh, the, the door still open if he wants to come back, and uh, you know it, that could be a possibility. You know, last year, guy who right now is working as their number one running back, he probably won't be in the fall. But Josh Fields had transferred to Georgia State, and then uh, it was actually for family reasons, and then those family reasons changed, and he ended up transferring right back to UTEP, being immediately eligible because UTEP had waived transfer rules on him, so which helped him stay eligible to come back. Anyway, I think they may be hoping Sione Tupu possibly comes back, but yes, at the moment he's in the portal. Last thing for me here, Brett, is in terms of uh, looking ahead to the 2020 season, what would constitute a successful season for UTEP? Two wins, three wins, what would they, or what would you project them as being having a successful season to be? Yeah, I certainly think, you know, they do want to see some more wins. Uh, Three seems optimistic but it's you know i think optimistically doable you know they got new mexico state rice charlotte they've been competitive over the last few years in some games they just need to need to step up and actually win some of those uh you know they do have two power conference teams on there so uh tech and texas but so that that'll be tough and you know nevada is another non-conference game that's going to be a a top one, but yeah, if they could get the three wins, I think that would be pretty optimistic. But I, I, I certainly, you know, I'm sure that they would tell you that they want to win six. But I think three would be 
kind of a best case scenario, honestly. Well, Brett, can't thank you enough for joining us here on the RPO. Where can people find your work if they want to learn more about UTEP and follow your work? Uh, ElPasoTimes.com. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'll have my first spring football story on there uh, to be up later today on their first practice on their quarterback battle. So, yeah, ElPasoTimes.com. All right, Brett, thanks again for joining us. All right, thank you. There you go, Brett Bloomquist from the El Paso Times. You can follow him on Twitter at Brett with one T, so B-R-E-T underscore Bloomquist, B-L-O-O-M-Q-U-I-S-T. Make sure to tweet at him, thank him for taking the time to join us here on the podcast. These guests, they love to get shout-outs from people listening to the podcast, knowing that, hey, my time was worth it. I enjoyed that conversation. Hopefully, he'll come back on down the road. But it sounds like, man... You feel for UTEP because they have uh, they just they have their work cut out for them as they try and rebuild this program. Dana Dimmel, like I said, a guy who has had success in his head coaching career. He had success at Wyoming, also had some success during his time at Houston, at marginally, and then it's just been awful, plain and simple, so far at UTEP. Two one and eleven seasons, uh, combined one and fifteen record in Conference USA play. His head coaching. Uh, career record is 32 and 61 of course his best year is coming as head coach of the Wyoming Cowboys before jumping to the Houston Cougars a guy who is familiar with the state of Texas but like I said He's going to have his work cut out for him as he tries to rebuild the UTEP Miners. So there you go. Thanks again to Brett Bloomquist for joining us here on the RPO. A couple of headlines for you guys in terms of what we're looking at today, March 3rd, 2020. Starting off with an independent team in UConn. Of course, the Huskies will be coming up here shortly on the podcast as they have been down in the dumps for a little while now. It appears that they have added a big-name opponent on one of their future schedules as an FBS independent, and that is that UConn will travel to face off against the Ohio State Buckeyes in Columbus in 2025. The most notable thing from this announcement of the Huskies game in Columbus, it'll be played on October 18th, 2025, and it will net UConn $1.95 million. That is a massive payday for a one-game series between these two. But Ohio State, if you got the money, might as well spend it. And UConn, they're going to need money games to fund their athletic department. I understand them being part of the Big East and their other sports should help kind of defray some of the costs when it comes to football. But, of course, anybody who pays attention is college football is king at most of these universities. And, obviously, you got to be able to pay the bills. And a game like this, they can get you almost $2 million dollars. Obviously, I think that's going to be more of what the future is for UConn until they decide what they're going to do, if they're ultimately going to stick it out as an independent for the foreseeable future, or if they'll try and find another home for their football program. One other headline I wanted to cover today is an interesting story about brothers. Of course, the Stoops family is college football royalty. Bob Stoops, obviously a legendary coach in the collegiate ranks, now the head coach of the XFL's Dallas Renegades. Well, he has two other brothers in the college coaching ranks. Speaking of Mark and Mike Stoops. Mark is currently the head coach of the University of Kentucky, has had quite the run, I feel like, considering his circumstances there in Lexington, has done some good things, has made the Wildcats a perennial bowl team, and at a school that is more known for its basketball acumen, obviously, with John Calipari and the like, Mark has done some good things with the University of Kentucky. Well, apparently, he had offered his brother Mike, who was the former head coach of the Arizona Wildcats, 
Bobcats had spent a long run with the University of Oklahoma as the defensive coordinator under Bob Stoops after being the head coach at Arizona. Well, he has been an analyst at the University of Alabama for the past season and has opted to remain with Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide rather than join his brother's staff at the current time. Uh, Here's the quote uh, Mark Stoops during a press conference yesterday, Monday. He says he likes what he's doing, said Mark Stoops. He likes the learning he's doing and the work he's doing there with Nick at Alabama. Mike is a big picture guy, so the timing of this position and the capacity it is, he decided to stay there. He's going to continue to recalibrate himself and come back as a coordinator. I can understand that sentiment because it seems like any coach, any former head coach who joins Nick Saban's staff, you get another opportunity as either a head coach at a school or at least as a coordinator. So I can understand that Mike Stoops is thinking, okay, I got an opportunity here. If I stick around long enough with Nick Saban, he'll quote unquote reinvent me and I'll be back on the scene as a high profile coordinator, if not a head coach at some point. So kind of an interesting story to see a guy turn down his brother, an opportunity to move from being being an analyst in an off-the-field role and instead, uh, excuse me, to move from an off-the-field analyst role to an on-field assistant role and turn that down, especially when it's family. But sometimes they say, don't mix family and business. Isn't that the notorious B.I.G. line from way back in the day? So there you go. Some of the headlines from uh, college football today, March 3rd. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the RPO. Follow the show at the RPO pod on Twitter. Feel free to weigh in there with your thoughts on the podcast. Like I said, make sure to let Brett Bloomquist know of your thanks for joining us here on the podcast. My personal Twitter feed is at Jacob C. Hatch. I'm your host, Jake Hatch, here on the podcast. My DMs are open, so feel free to drop me a note anytime with questions, concerns, and comments. Love to hear from you guys. And of course, feel free to let us know what you think of the podcast as well. Subscribe on whichever podcast provider you're listening to us on. We're available everywhere podcasts can be found and or downloaded. And I thank you guys in advance for your continued support of the show. One of 130 down. We got 129 to go. So let's do it. This has been the RPO for March 3rd, 2020. Have a great day.